On Guido Talks this week, Keir Starmer's leadership of the Labour Party descends into meltdown, the EU holds fire in the vaccine war, and Nicola Sturgeon sacks Joanne Cherry from her front bench. All that and more, stay tuned for this week's episode of Guido Talks. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Guido Talks. My name's Tom Harwood and once again I'm joined by founder and editor of Guido Forks, Paul Staines, and reporter Christian Cowgie. This week has been an increasingly rough one for the Labour Party, with the Tories now head edging ahead in the polls. Uh, this all started with a leak at the beginning of the week. Calgi, can you talk us through this? So on Tuesday night, The Guardian splashed with a, a, a big internal story from the Labour Party, which was that they've been doing focus groups, as all parties do, and have concluded that, firstly, Sakir has to get uh, off the fence on issues, and that also the Labour Party has to realign itself with basic patriotic values that most people quietly hold in this country. Uh, They needed to wrap themselves in the flag, was the phraseology that came out. And uh, incredibly, this went down appallingly badly with the sort of, you know, out of touch, hardline, London-based support uh, group of, of the Labour Party. And we had all, we had Clive Lewis MP and Richard Bergen and Owen Jones and Dawn Foster and the usual lot coming out against it. So the programme to make the Labour Party look more patriotic got off to a pretty poor start when that same morning we brought to light a video clip of Sakia uh, boasting that he previously wanted to abolish the monarchy. Let's have a look at that clip. Um, I also got made a Queen's Council, um, which is um, odd since I often used to um, propose the abolition of the monarchy. And this was all before PMQs, which itself was quite the event. What happened there, Tom? Well, what we saw was, uh, once again, a little bit of a stutter and a breakdown from the leader of the Labour Party. Now, this would be forgiven by, uh, for, for a lot of leaders of political parties who sort of style themselves on principle. But Keir Starmer has obviously decided to style his leadership on competence, uh, not on principle. We've seen him U-turn and flip-flop quite a few times. So when he gets something in detail very, very wrong, that matters more. And what happened in his exchange with Boris Johnson this week across the dispatch boxes was that Boris said uh, Keir Starmer had advocated us staying within the European Medicines Agency four times from the dispatch box, something that Keir Starmer curiously then stood up and denied and fervently denied. Let's listen to his denial right now. And if you'd have listened to the right honourable gentleman, Mr Speaker, we would still be at the starting blocks because he wanted to stay in the European Medicines Agency, Mr Speaker, and said so four times from that dispatch box. Nonsense. Don't let the truth get in the way of a pre-prepared gag. Mr Speaker, the the Prime Minister knows I've never said that uh, from this dispatch box or anywhere else, but uh, the truth uh, escapes him. I'd never said that. I'd never said that uh, from this dispatch box or anywhere else. But why would we want to be outside of the European Medicines Agency, which ensures all medicines in the EU are self, safe and effective? You can let me give three uh, without the details. The European Aviation Safety Agency, which deals with safety, the European Medicines Agency, and of course Europol, which I worked with for many years. These are the bits of the EU which we which should be seeking to retain, not to throw away. Uh, As he reminded us in the earlier video, he is a Queen's Council and a 
very highly experienced barrister. That was not a great performance for the forensic cross-examiner of, of old. He's losing his confidence. He's losing his way. The party's losing the polls and worried that it's not going to make any progress in the May general elections. And I think it's looking quite shaky. And he's having probably the shakiest period of his leadership. And this loss of confidence really materialised. We reported shortly after the altercation at Prime Minister's Questions that a, a really shaken um, Keir Starmer ended up um, talking to Boris behind the Speaker's chair, wagging his finger, and according to some MPs, having a bit, a bit more of a, a Barney, a bit more of a scrap, than would be particularly parliamentary. Now, this is clearly someone who is shaken, um, who should have been on top of the detail, and who wasn't. Um, and that led to him to apologise and admit that he, or sort of go down a route that I'm not sure is all that believable, saying that he misheard something that Boris said. Let's have a look at that clip now. Uh, in Penpews yesterday, um, the Prime Minister was attacking me um, in relation to an issue. I misheard him um, and I got it wrong. And I think uh, it's very important for politicians when they get it wrong to say, look, I got it wrong. It was a mistake rather than to argue about it. So hands up, I was wrong about that. And that's why I said straight away, look, I'm wrong. And what happened afterwards? Oh, nothing. We had a discussion on the way out. Um, but um, as I say, I was, I was wrong about, I had misheard what the Prime Minister was putting to me. I was wrong about that. And as I say, hands yeah. up, wrong. Better to say that and just be straight about it. Now, that's a sort of non-apology apology. Um, and it, it does seem that Starmer is falling in, into all of the politician-like traps that are being laid for him by the Prime Minister. Now, for those of you who pay attention to the Seen Elsewhere links on the side of the Guido Fawkes website, uh, you might have noticed some really quite scathing editorials popping up in there from figures on the left against Keir Starmer's leadership. There was uh, an Observer editorial uh, over the weekend which said that Labour's opportunism in terms of trying to rejig the JCVI order of vaccines was wrong and anti-scientific. There was then uh, a really scathing Stephen Bush column, a very well-respected Labour commentator, saying that actually Keir Starmer is losing the confidence of his party and losing the confidence of Westminster. This was an incredibly shaky week for the Labour Party and you can really tell that because it's not people on the right saying it, it's people on the left saying this too. I mean, after the fiasco of uh, Wednesday, Thursday morning, there were no Labour figures on any of the media round. There was no Labour uh, spokesman on TV or on the airwaves. In fact, the only political opposition there was was from Sinn Féin and Nicola Sturgeon, as usual. Now, this is not exactly what you expect from an opposition. An opposition should be there grabbing any media opportunities it can take up. And yet, when you have one that's literally running away because there's a slightly bad news story, it's not a good sign. This is not a good period in the, in the opposition's time, especially at a moment where we're midterm, we're coming up to local elections. They should be soaring ahead. In, in any normal parliament, you'd expect the opposition to be miles ahead by now. And the latest poll put the Tories six points ahead of the Labour Party. You might imagine that the dire state of the Labour Party would uh, drive some of its MPs to drink. And we certainly saw that with one of our clips earlier in the week of a very merry Dawn Butler on a constituency Labour Party quiz and showed quite a brilliant level of memory loss when it came to the Scottish Labour Party leadership election.
Well, bees, I didn't realize how important bees were actually to our ecosystem. So they're actually really important. So um, yeah, bees are important. Unlike mosquitoes, mosquitoes are not that important. But anyway, we'll go there for another day. <laughs> Number two. Name the two candidates standing to be Labour leader in Scotland. Before anyone got excited, Scotland. You're not recording this, are you, Luke? No, good. Okay, cool. <laughs> to be honest, I couldn't remember their names even when I was sober. And I thought she came over as quite human, really. I mean... Oh, definitely. She looks like a great drinking buddy. And a lot of people assumed that we were uh, in some way laying into her for getting drunk. I honestly don't know what else you do with your evenings at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly if you're six points behind in the poll. <laughs> Uh, and Labour are far from the only party embroiled in chaos this week, as we saw the SNP uh, somewhat fall apart with the sacking of Joanna Cherry. And Joanna Cherry is certainly one of the most prominent Westminster MPs the party has, especially making a name for herself as a distinguished lawyer during the Brexit debates in 2019. She was sacked from the front bench this week um, on, on the dual sort of trial of the trans rights debate which she is a very outspoken um sort of woman's rights activist and is against the party line on that and she's pretty supportive of alex salmond and that debate still rages on so she was culled by nicola sturgeon uh and that's uh, left a lot of snp members but christian isn't she really getting the heave ho because she's a threat to nicola sturgeon and she's a leadership rival. I don't think the trans issue is that motivating in the SNP generally. It was just an excuse to give her the heave home, wasn't it? Well, it's certainly noticeable that the only three SNP MPs who have not got spokesperson jobs in Westminster after the reshuffle are all salmoned loyalists. And so, in a way, they're all threats to Sturgeon's uh, position. I think this is one of the most underreported stories that is, is rolling through Westminster and Holyrood right now, which is the, the SNP, which used to pride itself on being absolutely bulletproof in terms of unity, they would walk in lockstep, is now embroiled in the most vicious sort of civil war, where you have the leader and the former leader briefing against each other, two separate inquiries, one into the leader and one into the way her government has handled the sexual assault allegations of the former leader. And... And members of the party and elected representatives of the party digging in on either side of this, tearing chunks out of each other. This is a huge story, and I don't think it's being done justice in the uh, wider press in Westminster. Last Friday's Guido Talks didn't cover the big news because it was recorded on Thursday, and that was where the European Commission went to war and lost. They were fighting over the vaccine situation. They were trying to bully Britain and AstraZeneca. They did this without telling the Irish or the British and it went very badly. Not very often that you unite the DUP, Sinn Féin, the Taoiseach and the British Prime Minister all on the same side against the European Union. By the end of the day, they had reversed their position. And over the weekend, what came out was the whole AstraZeneca contract. They published it, but it turned out AstraZeneca had drafted it quite well and the European Commission doesn't really have... Uh, a right to jump in front of the queue 
And the British had drafted their contract pretty rock solid given they had financed to the tune of 300 million the whole development of the AstraZeneca vaccine. So we had uh, contracts published that were redacted and they made the schoolboy error of using PDFs, which is the Adobe format that you can unredact if you know what you're doing. And we do know what we're doing, so we revealed the contents. The key excuse that the European Union has given for not rushing into the vaccines, they put it, was that they wanted the pharma companies to take on the liability. The pharma companies, not unreasonably, given they were working in an emergency, wanted the states, the individual states, to indemnify them for any problems. It turned out, when we got to read the contracts, that the European Union had totally given in to the farm companies and all 27 states have indemnified AstraZeneca in the event of any liabilities. So they delayed for no reason. Not a great result for the European Union. And this was all compounded on Monday morning when the boss of a further vaccine company popped up on the Today programme, a company that is actually headquartered in France, in Paris, uh, to say that the UK has ordered another 40 million doses of their vaccine. Now, when asked by the Today programme how many doses the EU had ordered, they said zero. And then the follow-up question was the very important one, which means, now, if the EU wants to get these doses when they come available at the same time as the EU, uh, as the UK, should they order now or should they order at the same time as the, the UK? And the boss of this company sort of sat there dumbfounded and said, yes, of course. If you order first, you are going to get the vaccines earlier. If you order later, we can't just magic up more vaccine. There is an entire supply process that takes time and effort and, inve and investment. Um, and the EU, if they order later, are going to get the vaccine later. It's as simple as that. It's amazing it needed saying. <laughs> On a lighter side of the EU facing news this week, uh, we brought to light an incredible conference being held by von der Leyen's own European People's Party, uh, being hosted by Donald Tusk. They're set to discuss fake vaccine news. Uh, this is, of course, the same von der Leyen who's cast doubts on the UK's safety measures when it comes to approving the vaccine, uh, the same uh, European Union that uh, has briefed that our vaccine is ineffective when it certainly is not. Uh, we've had Macron claiming that the vaccine is ineffective the day after the medicines agency in Europe approved it uh, for all ages. Uh, so it really is some brass neck from Europe. As one gone but not forgotten Donald might say to Donald Tusk, you are fake news. <laughs> I mean, the, the most extraordinary thing here, of course, is that this is the party that is in government in most of the countries in Europe um, and is led by the person at the top of this chain who has been disseminating this like far beyond the sort of fake news that um, President Trump was accused of, of, of spraying. Because this stuff is not the, the clear nonsense of old oh, drink bleach, which, which everyone sort of took with a pinch of salt, I think. This stuff is actually undermining the cause of vaccines, saying that a, a, an approved vaccine doesn't work. I mean, what kind of... Uh, I mean, the goal is, is extraordinary. Well, apparently, Macron, France, has the most highest anti-vax sentiment in Europe, in fact, or the highest in the world. So for a country that doesn't have much confidence in vaccines, for Macron to then come out and criticise a vaccine, oh, and by the way, he'd like loads more of it, and is fighting for that. <laughs> it doesn't seem like a strategy. It seems like a panic, a political panic. That they're worried they're going, to get, they're going to be punished by their electorates for all the delays and confusion.
Now on the domestic side of the European question, we saw Shadow Trade Secretary Emily Thornberry this week implode over the suggestion that the United Kingdom could join a global free trade area called the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership. The response that Emily Thornberry gave to this was, oh, but we, we, we've just left, uh, we've spent four years leaving a trade area only to join another one. What's the government doing? As if she didn't understand that the whole argument over the Leave campaign was not that we're against free trade, not that Brexiteers don't want to trade with other nations, but that the European Union is very clearly not a free trade area. And what better example is there than comparing the CPTPP with the EU? The CPTPP doesn't have a parliament, doesn't have a president, doesn't have a flag, doesn't want to have an army, doesn't prevent its members from signing trade deals with other countries around the world, doesn't charge its members an entry fee of billions of pounds every year, doesn't do any of the sort of trappings or attributes of statehood, doesn't try and have ambassadors sent to London to sit in the court of St James and represent it as if it's a country. That's the difference, Emily Thornberry. That's the difference between the CPTPP and the EU. That's why we wanted to leave the EU, and that's why Global Britain is entering into a new alliance of countries around the world to deliver on that message of free trade. Well, that clearly got Tom pumped up. The story this week that got me pumped up was that the Institute for Public Policy Research, North, that's a Labour-leaning think tank, came out with a plan to decarbonise the North. Sounds, sounds green and cuddly. Anyway, the replacement of all the boilers in northern cities and fitting uh, green technology into most of the north on behalf of all the social housing seems like a good plan long term. And they said it will create 77,000 jobs for a cost of 143 billion. That is, by my calculations, about 1.8 million pounds per job. It is the economics of the madhouse. There is no way on earth. Look, I'm not against uh, greening your house and green power. We're at home, we're installing, and you might think it's crazy doing this in Ireland, solar thermal. It's a good idea in the long term. It will pay back in eight years, but it's coming out of our own pockets. The taxpayers cannot afford 143 billion. That is three times the defence budget. It's almost a whole year's income tax. And then I noticed who was sponsoring the IPPR's report. It was plumbing companies, construction companies. Uh, you know, they put on the cover all these uh, social housing non-profit logos. They didn't mention the dozens and dozens of private sector corporations, whom I've got nothing against. But I don't think they're motivated to sponsor this report by the prospect of greening the planet. It's because they would love to get their hands on billions in profits. I don't blame them, but I don't think the taxpayer should be on the hook for it. No way. Now, one of the funnier stories that happened this week was to do with the Paris Climate Agreement, that accord that was signed by most countries around the world back in 2015. It's intended to keep global warming below two degrees centigrade. Um, and unfortunately for France, the country that hosted the great signing ceremony of this accord, um, France failed to keep up with its obligations over the last year. So it's had a massive fine slapped on it. In fact, France has had to pay one euro for every NGO that it has um, 
besmirched and 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 uh, not and failed to keep up its promises to. Now this fine amounts to an enormous four euros. <laughs> France no. France has genuinely for breaching the for breaching the uh, terms of the Paris Accord has had has had to pay only four euros. Like I, I mean, why did America need to leave this in the first place if that was the only if that's the only problem? Um, Isn't this the irony? Isn't this the irony that Trump withdrew America from the accord, yet they stuck to the terms of the agreement? France went crazy and called America a rogue state and then didn't stick to the terms of the agreement. It's, it's ironic. Well, they only had to pay pittance. I mean, we, I, I mean what's, what's the point of this agreement if you only have to pay four euros? If I think, you I think it? it's, it's easy to be a cynic, Tom, but four euros is a substantial percentage of French GDP and I'm sure to knock them back in line. <laughs> If the Donald had known it was only going to be four euros, he wouldn't have cared. He'd have stuck in the deal, wouldn't he? <laughs> Piers Corbyn has got himself arrested for what feels like the hundredth time during this pandemic. Uh, this time for distributing uh, leaflets comparing the vaccine with the Auschwitz death camp. Uh, it's pretty vile. Uh, we record. We reported it for the first time back in December, and it took the mainstream media. Uh, over a month to catch up with the story and it was only when he started uh, re-putting them out and an MP commented on it uh, that they finally started covering it. So the guy's been arrested. Uh, I don't think uh, anything will come of it, frankly, but it's always worth remembering that this guy is a genuine candidate for London mayor. I've got to say, even though I think that the leaflets are disgusting, I don't think he should be charged with an offence. I just don't. I think it's dangerous to make these people into dissidents because it's obviously not deterring him. In fact, he's raising a fortune by uh, every time he gets arrested. What went on in the Corbyn chi childhood home to generate these two people who have, have been become the sort of towering planks of crankery in British politics? I mean, it is it is quite the most extraordinary family. I think a documentary of the history of this family really needs to be made. Well, he said he can't be uh, anti-Semitic because he was married to a Jewess and his mum fought in the Battle of Cable Street. But I don't think we've seen any proof of what side she fought on. Well, on that note, I think that's probably about time to wrap up the podcast. So thank you to everyone who's stuck with us throughout this podcast. Remember that we're available wherever you get your audio podcasts from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, but also as a video podcast on the Guido Fawkes YouTube channel. Remember to subscribe and hit that notification bell to get your new video podcast every Friday. Thank you again for sticking with us and we will see you next week.